You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of John 3.16 this morning, and I want to preach again here out of John 3.16 and try to cover this out of the, the messages. This will be the fourth message that I've preached out of John 3.16 on the Sundays that I have preached. And of course, we've had a couple interruptions in there. Um, but I tell you, I, I could preach out of John 3.16 uh, until the Lord comes and not exhaust John 3.16. Uh, I love it because the truths of John 3.16, as I've said before, are so simple that a child could grasp uh, but at the same time, the, the depths are so, uh, go so deep that, uh, that the, the most wise theologian could not uh, fathom its depths. And so we thank the Lord for that. So let's read John 3.16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the course of this verse, we've seen a few things. We've seen that God's love is global. I'm glad that the love of God is global. For God so loved the world. We've seen also that God's love is gospel. In other words, it's the good news. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so uh, we see it's a global love. We see it's a, 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 a gospel love. It's the good news of the gospel. He gave His only begotten Son. But I love this about the Lord. This is pretty awesome. And if you'll forgive me uh, for the, the, the how personal or maybe not, maybe not forgive me for it, but the, the, the fact that it's almost this verse gets to a point now to where God says, okay, enough about me, let's talk about you. Enough about me, let's talk about you. And, and I hesitate to say that because can, we can never say enough about God, but He does transition in this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So that's all about God and it's about Christ giving His life and uh, rising again on the third day. But then it transitions to you. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this part of the verse all of a sudden changes and God says, okay, I've told you about me, but now let's talk about you. And so this is really important this morning. So as we think about this verse, we find so much in it, the state, the fact that the God, the one and only omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient creator God, so incredibly, incomprehensibly, sacrificially loved the people of this planet, His creation, every single person who ever lived or ever will live, that He acted. He did something. And what He did was totally, sacrificially, willingly, and lovingly gave, surrendered, sacrificed His one-of-a-kind, unique Son, Jesus, willingly laid down His life because He loved you and He loved me. And there was only one way for, for mankind to be forgiven, and that was through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to me and a somewhat disturbing thing, uh, the, the fact that some people feel like when, you, when they hear the gospel and they hear the exclusive nature of the gospel, in other words, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that Jesus made the way, they seem to almost think that's an offensive message. And in some ways, it can be offensive to, re, to false religion and so forth. But the truth is, it's a very gracious message because it's not by works of righteousness. It's not according to your nationality. It's not according to your religion. It's not according to your IQ. 
It's not according to any of those things. It's according to the grace of Almighty God. Jesus Christ did the work. And so uh, He gave His Son and, and he, was, he, he was given to suffering and shame, betrayal and beating, to crucifixion and death. But what's more, He delivered His Son, the Bible says, to become sin for us. And that's really the heart of man's issue is sin. And that's why Jesus died. He had to, because sin had to be paid for. There were consequences for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So salvation is free. Praise the Lord for that. But folks, it's not cheap, is it? It, Jesus became sin. He bore our sin in order to, uh, to, that we might be pardoned. That's why we don't justify sin. We've got a, misinter a gross misinterpretation of grace in the day and age in which we live to where people would interpret grace to, oh, Jesus died for all of our sins, so let's go get into more of it. Let's just, let's just have at it, you know. I mean, because the more we sin, the greater God's grace is. Folks, uh, that is so wrong. And it just it doesn't even make a lot of sense because if Jesus had to bear these awful, terrible sins, what would make me want to indulge in those sins? He he came to save me uh, not in my sins but from my sins. Amen. He came to lift people to a higher life, folks. It's sin that's destroying people's lives. It's sin that introduces misery and separation and so many things into the lives of people. And so I'm glad that no matter what our sin is, Jesus can save us from our sins and and cleanse us from our sins. But as we come to a very pivotal phrase in John 3.16, it makes clear the love of God, and I love this, the love of God is personal and operative in our lives. And is that not the message that we want to give to people? The love of God is personal and it's operative in people's lives. Uh, as we consider the great grace that this verse entails. Right off, we read in this verse that God's love is so intensely personal. It's personal for Him, and it's directed personally to each of us. God loved us. And we say that loosely today, but that's saying a lot. Right off the bat, God's saying, I love you. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's personal. And so it's very personal toward God, but it's also very personal toward us. The phrase that we're looking at today begins with that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. Now that word that right there, it's just a small word, but it should not be ignored. That word that is a conjunction that connects. It's a connecting word. And in this verse, it connects the phrases. It connects phrases, words, or clauses, uh, which... We know all conjunctions do. But this particular one is called a subordinate conjunction. A subordinate conjunction. That for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. And the, and the idea is this, that it means in order. Or it means in order to accomplish. So that carries the idea in order. So for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that. So in other words, so in order that. So that it might be accomplished. So it might be possible. So that 
Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And by the way, when I start talking about conjunctions and verbs and, and uh, some of these things, uh, don't think I'm smart, because I'm not. Because There's probably no danger of that. I'm not worried about that. But I learn these things and then I try to share them with you. Uh, man, in Bible college, I'm telling you right now, I enjoyed all the Bible classes. I enjoyed uh, the different studies. But I'm telling you, uh, I thought it was a total... I, I couldn't believe it when they wanted us to study English. In Bible college. I'm just like, man, I got through all, all through high school without fooling with that stuff. And now they're trying to... And uh, man, I kid you not, I mean, it was tough for me. And, and I'm sorry, it may not... It wasn't tough for many of you, but I, I mean, uh, I literally... Melanie had to help me uh, through some of those years of Bible college uh, when we were trying to... When I was trying to pass English. Uh, um, yeah, it's embarrassing. But So I'm just telling you, but that being said, I still try to learn. Amen. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And... So, uh, so if I try to learn these things, but so it's the idea, it's a subordinate conjunction, so it carries the weight, it's, it's to accomplish, it's so that. And so, as we look at this, we notice these two opening phrases in this verse. God, of course, is the subject to start with, but now it moves to you and to me. I heard about a little girl one time. She climbed into her mom's lap, and she placed her head on her mom's chest and began to listen to her heartbeat. And the little girl listened to her mom's heartbeat and she says, Mommy, what's in your heart? The wise mother replied, Sweetheart, just look closely into my eyes. And the little girl turned her attention and, and looked, looked into her mom's eyes. And when she looked into her, her mom's eyes, you know what she saw? She said, There's a little girl in there. And it's me. And she says, Mom, am I what's in your heart? And she says, you sure are. Amen. You're in my eyes. You're in my heart. And folks, I want you to know that's how personal this verse is today. This verse is letting us look into the eyes of God. God is saying, look at me. Look at me. Look into my eyes. What do you see? And if you look closely enough, you know what you'll see? You'll see you. Amen. <laughs> that's wonderful. I mean, I, that's so, such good news. You'll see you there. You look into His heart. What will you see? You'll see you. You say, preacher, is that, is that overstated? I could not overstate it. I could not say it enough. You know why? Because this verse says, for God so loved the world. And remember that word world, it means you. It means each individual. And so for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so I think that's just so wonderful this morning that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. This is the verb portion of this verse. Believe. We know from Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that salvation comes to, through, by grace through faith. But in this sentence, the word faith is used as a verb. In other words, it's the idea of having faith. It's the, it's the idea of, uh, of, uh, of acting. It's the idea, uh, it's the act of believing. It's having faith. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what I want to talk to you about today a little bit is faith. And really I want to talk about two things. That whosoever believeth on Him. Or believeth in Him. Those are the two things. Whosoever believeth. Whosoever believeth. I want to try my best at focusing on those two things and hopefully explain it uh, to such a degree where you can get it this morning. When we talk about faith this morning, especially when we talk about faith, I want to talk about the kind of faith that saves one's soul. What does it mean to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? 
What do we mean when we say we must place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ to save us? See, many people, and I'll tell you this, if you happen to be here today and you are not saved, I want to let you know something that may not be a big secret. If you look around you, you're going to see a group of people that's been praying for you. To come to the Lord. Amen. You know why? Because we want you to be saved. We want you to believe. We want you to know what it is to know this love. We want you to know what it is to know this forgiveness. And that's our heart's desire. But what does it mean to believe? Because most people you find, they'll say, well, I believe. But we want you to understand that it's more personal than that. Than just just an intellectual assent. Right now, praying, praying that the the, the Holy Spirit of God, the life-changing, soul-stirring joy that we have, you can also share in this morning. So, as we look at this, we're going to start, number one, by looking at the dimension. The dimension of saving faith. So, simply put, we could put it this way. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? Now, for many in here today, that's a simple question and a simple answer. But you know, isn't it something that you'll often find that we live in a time to where sometimes religion and the ideas of men can make things harder than they have to be? But so for many of you, you just say, well, that's a pretty simple question. It's a pretty simple answer. That's elementary. But... If you pay attention today, there's a swelling movement to redefine what we have held true about who can be saved. There are those who would redefine significant words in this text in such a way as to exclude rather than to include. To exclude rather than to include. Now, if if we can just linger just for a moment this morning on this little word, whosoever. If you linger on that word. Now, I want to say something. Praise God, that word changed my life. That word continues to change my life. The word whosoever ought to affect the way we live on a daily basis, honestly. But it's, it's, it's an important word in understanding what it means. It's right in the middle of John 3.16. It unfurls this verse as a banner for the ages. Whosoever unrolls the welcome mat of heaven to all humanity. It's a sledgehammer to racism. And it dynamites gender borders. Whosoever makes it clear that God exports His grace worldwide. Whosoever will. Now, you can read that in the English and you can get that. But it's not only there. Because there are those who would restrict God's grace. Jesus says, however, whosoever will. Now, If you'll allow me just for a little bit to get technical with this word, whosoever. Many times the word is translated all. A-double-L, all. It's a tiny word in the Greek, pas, P-A-S. It's an all-embracing adjective. It carries the meaning of totality, all. I'm glad God means for His Word to be simple. Amen? He means for His truths to be easily understood. Now, there's things that we can study at the same time. Uh, I mean, again, the the depths are unfathomable. But the the things that we really need to know about salvation especially uh, are pretty simply understood. All is not that difficult of a word. But that's what past means. It means all-embracing. It means totality. It means the whole and all its respective parts. In this verse, it is used to confirm that everyone without exception 
All humanity has an opportunity to be saved. Now, when this word pass is used in a sentence, it carries the weight every time of all-inclusive reach, anywhere and anytime. It is totally non-restrictive. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. Often you, 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 you've heard me say, you've heard other people say, that all means all. Well, folks, whosoever means whosoever. And if it means all, it means all here as well. This tiny word occurs over 1,200 times in the Greek New Testament. What is really impressive is the vast number of those occurrences that, it, that are in the verses that have to do with God making salvation possible to all people in Christ. I'm going to give you just a few here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. That He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's pass. That's whosoever will. That's all. So who did Jesus die for? Every man. According to the Bible. Yeah, well, you know, I've heard that, you know, He only died for a a, a few. You heard wrong. (laughs) Amen? Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says for all uh, men. Every man. Every man. Every man here is past. It means without any restrictions, without any inclusions. Or uh, exclusions, I'm sorry. All inclusions. Uh, I want to give you this, by the way. Another good passage on this. It's just throughout the Bible, folks. But the whosoever will thing. Isaiah 53 is a famous passage that tells us about the crucifixion of Christ. And the Bible tells us kind of the problem. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So how many people have gone astray? All. How many people do you know that have sinned? All. All have sinned. And what's the Bible say? And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But there are those that, see what they do is they go about it, and it's, it's, it's too bad because it goes back to about 500 years ago. It's a little over 500 years ago now, uh, maybe getting closer to six, but about 500 years ago, which really hasn't been that long in the big scheme of, of when we think about the Bible versus 500 years ago, there was, there was a man that come along, uh, he was, his last name was Armini, Armenia, or Armenian or whatever, and basically what he said is, oh, you know, you, 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 can, you, can, get, you can accept Christ just willy-nilly, you can lose salvation willy-nilly, but you can get it back willy-nilly, and you can get it back, and blah, blah, and it just goes back and forth, and if you, you believe, oh good, you believe, you're, I mean, and it just, he just oversimplified it. Well, you had John Calvin that came along, and a, a great theologian in many rights, but what he did is he reacted to that teaching. And so then he started adding these things and reactive and, and, and it said, well, no, the Lord, if God says you're going to be saved, you're going to be saved. Then it went a little bit further and says, well, I guess if God is only going to save those who he's chosen before they were ever even born to be saved, then it only makes sense that he would only shed his blood and die for those he would save. And so that's what, these, that, that's what this doctrine teaches. And it's called uh, Calvinism, hyper-Calvinism. There's about nine different brands of it. Let me, let me tell you that. There's people that believe just like you and me that will actually consider them. They'll put themselves under a brand of Calvinist. Uh, but I do not do that. I will not do that. And, and I used to have people try to peg me like that. Are you a Calvinist or are you, are you Arminian? I'm like, I'm a Bible believer, Jack. It was Jack that asked me. Uh, I'm a Bible believer, Jack. I said... I, am, I don't need to identify myself with some theologian from 500 years ago. 
500 years ago? No, thank you. I'm going back to Christ. I'm going back to the Apostle Paul. Amen. I'm neither of those jokers. Amen. I'm a Bible believer. I believe what God's Word says. And so, uh, again, uh, but that, there's those that teach these things. And so, but what does the Bible say about it? Uh, and, and, and by the way, let me tell you this. This morning, I am not doing a whole, in my little 30-minute message, you wished. Uh, in my 30-minute message, I am not going to tell you and, and delve into Calvin. I'm not doing that this morning, but I'm just telling you that the extreme of that is contrary to the teaching of God's Word. And, and in many cases, I'll tell you this. I cannot tell you everything that, that it is. I can't even tell you everything that uh, even when we get into election of foreknowledge or some of these things, I may not be able to give you all of that to, to your satisfaction, but I can definitely tell you some things that it's not. According to God's Word, Jesus did die for all. According to God's Word, Jesus died for all, and the same word all, He says that whosoever will. Okay, so let me try to hasten here so I can uh, give you more of this. But uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2.6, Christ, the Bible says, gave Himself a ransom for all. Again, without exception, all everyone, all people, without restriction. There are those that would argue that His divine love is effective only for those He chooses and all others are lost and doomed. Some will argue that God gives only a select few opportunity or ability to be saved. But as we think about this, uh, that's not what we find in the Bible. That's not what we find in the New Testament. The clear reading of this verse, even the first year Greek student, it would be obvious that God wants all to be saved. You don't have to know Greek. You read the English and it's clear. But if you want to get into the Greek, get into the Greek and you'll find out it's agreeing with the English. Any child with enough education to read these words will tell you that God says He wants everyone. All. Whosoever will to be saved. I suggest to you that any other concept must be read into this verse and not derived out of this verse. <clears throat> I say I emphasize that for those that were in Sunday school. Kurt's been teaching about cults and different things like that. And this morning we brought up the kind of, kind of, kind of the, one of the big dividing points of Bible interpretation. And there's exegesis. I would put that up there. But there's exegesis, which means to draw out of. And there's esegesis. They're just theological words. Just bear with me. That means to read into. Means to read into. In other words, some people form opinions. And some people form opinions in a well-meaning way. They think, you know what? I think God should be portrayed this way. Whether or not He's portrayed that way in His Word or not. So they'll go in and begin to read into verses and, and, and see. See, you know, and it's like, well, no, wait. We do not determine what we believe and then go try to find Bible to support what we believe. We say, you know what? I'm going to go into God's Word. I'm going to get, let God's Word determine what I believe. I'm not going to determine. But that, there, that's a big dividing point. There And so when we read this, we see this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is one that we hear a lot. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, Lord, not willing that any, again, pass, not willing that any should, uh, should perish, but that all, everyone, without exclusion, it says God's will, that all come to repentance. All. Everyone, without exception, without without uh, exclusion, all. First uh, Timothy chapter two verse four: Who will have all men to be saved? 
and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Folks, I'm just sharing with you a few verses this morning. I don't know how many I need, but I don't know if I need this many or not, but there's many more uh, that confirm what the Bible says about this. It's God's desire, it is God's will, it is God's heart for all men without exception to be saved. The Bible says, whosoever will can be saved. That means after the resurrection, Jesus would have said to Peter, you can find the man who constructed that cross and you can tell him whosoever will can be saved. Amen? John, you can find the Roman soldier that cut me to ribbons with the scourging whip and the cat of nine tails and you can tell him whosoever will can be saved. Nicodemus, you can go find Caiaphas and tell him whosoever will can be saved. Folks, what I'm trying to say this morning is that whosoever will, what is the scope? What is the dimension of God's love? Folks, on the authority of the Word of God, and John 3.16 in particular, I tell you that the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is good news for everybody. Amen. It's not just good news to a few. It's good news to whosoever wants to be saved because they can be saved. That means that we can go out of these doors and we can find any person anywhere and be able to tell them without hesitation or doubt that God loves them and that He gave His Son for their sins and they can be saved. They can be set free from sin's power and sin's penalty. Amen. Hallelujah. Whosoever means me. Whosoever means you and you and you. Whosoever. Oh, my friend, we can preach. Evangelists can go around the globe. I mean, missionaries can go into any country they want to and they can say, whosoever means you. Now, I do want to pause and say this morning that I understand that the the, the teaching contrary to this is so prevalent that if you have been taught this way, you may believe that way. Please, I don't want you to leave here angry today. I don't want you to leave here uh, like we're enemies today. I want you to leave here maybe as two people that maybe have opposing views, but we could sit and visit and talk about it, all right? Uh, And that goes with anything you ever hear me preach in this pulpit, amen? Uh, I'm not teaching it to try to draw a line necessarily and say you come to this line. I'm saying, man, if if, if you need to talk about it, if you want to discuss it, if you have questions, please ask me the questions. Amen. Get clarity. Learn. Because I, one thing I never, I do not want one person in this building to believe one word of what I say because I say it. Not one person. I want every person in here, if you walk out of this door believing something this morning, matter of fact, I'll even challenge you this way. If you came in this morning believing opposite of this, I'm not even sure I want you to leave today believing what I said. Because I don't know if you've had a a sufficient time to look into it. Amen? Amen. You see what I'm saying? I want you to believe. I want you to get into the Word. Not go read so-and-so's book again. But say, God, I'm going to divorce myself from all this other... And I just want to see what does your Word say. And and surely do some studies and everything. But... Uh, but make sure you're open because I'm telling you, there's a principle, in, there's, a, there's a hermeneutic principle that's called the human willingness principle. And it's a principle that just simply says this, that if you are willing to know God's truth, He will reveal the truth to you. Sometimes we don't want to know God's truth. Sometimes we get bent one way or the other. And folks, believe it because God's Word says it, not because I say it. So the dimension of His love. The dimension of His love. So God, it's God's will for all to be saved. So whosoever we see there. But now let's look at this part. Believeth on Him. The definition of saving faith. 
The definition of saving faith. My goodness. What do men, what do we mean when we use the term and the word faith? It states whosoever uh, believeth. It's an interesting, uh, it's interesting that John never uses a noun form of this verb. Of this word, I'm sorry. He never uses, you wouldn't use a noun form. He, he never uses a noun form of the word believeth. He uses faith or believe, but 96 times in the Gospel of John alone, nine times in the third chapter, it's used as a verb. Trusting, believing. See, some people have this passive noun belief. Oh yeah, I believe in God. No, this is an act of faith. This, this is a, a faith that is trusting, believing. Lord, that I need You as my Savior, believing in Him. So what's involved in trusting Christ? There's two aspects of saving faith. Um, man alive, I tell you, the time, the time, the time. Alright, uh, there, there's two aspects. One is the mental aspect of saving faith. Now bear with me in just a moment. The mental aspect. And, and that's just to say this. It's not to say that you have to have a PhD to be saved, but you do need to at least be able to understand that you're a sinner, that you've sinned against God, and that Jesus paid the price for that sin. I mean, that could be with a child. It could be with an adult. Whatever the case is. But so there has to be. Because even when the Bible says, go and teach all nations, that means to bring it to their intellect. Bring it to their minds. Uh, confront them with the truth. So you've got to understand it. You've got to know it. Uh, so there's the, into, the, the, there's the mental aspect of saving faith. But then there's also uh, the volitional act of saving faith. And volition just simply means the power or the faculty to use one's will. The volitional aspect of saving faith. This is where you exercise your will. And this is where a lot of people run into uh, problems. This is, this is why some people lean to the doctrine that I was going to earlier. They have trouble with this whole thing of the will. If it's God's will to be saved, how can I say no to God? I had, I had a fellow one time and he was of that persuasion. Uh, by the way, I mentioned earlier there's like nine different there's nine different people or nine at least nine different groups that fall under the category uh, that call themselves Calvinists. And again, some of them believe exactly what we believe, but call themselves that for some reason. Uh, but I had this man. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, one of the most one of the most soul winning men that I maybe have ever met, one of the boldest witnesses I've ever met. But he claimed to believe that way. He claimed to believe that there's not free will and and that it's not whosoever will. And we we when he was a legislator when I lived in Pierre, and we went out to eat. One afternoon, and, and he says, I just, he said, I enjoy your services and I enjoy the preaching. He said, but I just got to ask you the question, where do you get this idea of free will? Where do you get this idea of free will? And think, I didn't know that was what was, we were going to talk about, but just without hesitation, I said, well, let's go to Genesis. Let's go to the very beginning. See, because these people to the extreme, they say that God, that man could never do anything contrary to the will of God. If it's God's will, you can't go against that. You see what they're doing right there, don't you? It's what I said earlier. Well, it seems like I'm insulting God if I say that I can decide against what He has decided. So, so, so I need to find a way not to say that. You're making God too small. You're, no, I'm not. I'm just reading the Bible. God plant, uh, put Adam and Eve right in the middle of the garden. I mean, that's just what I said. Let's go back to the beginning. And if we wanted to, we could start in Genesis, we could then go to Exodus, then we could go to Deuteronomy, and then we could go all the way through the book of Revelation. But I said, let's start in Genesis. I said, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, out of all the trees of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. So was it God's will for them to eat it? Or was it not? Well, it sounds like it wasn't because He said, don't do it. 
So under that, uh, under their theology, we're still in the Garden of Eden. But wait a second. Eve made a choice. Adam made a choice. Was it God's will? No, it wasn't God's will. God told him not to do it. Is God able to have His will even in that? Yes, He is. He's able to work. God's never caught by surprise. God said it this way. He set them on the... He, he, the Joshua stood in a valley and He put the people on either side. On Mount Ebal and Mount Gershom, I believe it was. And He said this. He said, I set before you this day. Now we're going to the book of Joshua. I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. And what did He say? We use it in the pro-life movement oftentimes, and it's, it's okay to use there. It's very okay to use there. But it's not the context of it. He says, choose life. Well, hold on, God. You don't want me to choose because you've already chosen for me because, no, we can get that idea, but let's, why can't we just stay with the Bible? It does not make God any less by not making us robots, by not forcing His will on us. Listen, he says, I sat before you this day. Choose life. Choose blessing or choose death. It's up to you. It's up to you. And so uh, there, there's a volition that God has given to men, graciously given to men. It's easy for us to think sometimes, I just wish God would take free will away. Then nobody would ever do wrong. Nobody would ever do wrong. And, 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 and you know, there, there's arguments for all that, but I'm not too interested in living there, honestly. I just would... I have enough trouble understanding and learning the truth before just going off on these suppositions and theoretical things, you know. I'd rather just stick with what God's Word says about this thing. Now again, you may have questions, and I'd love to talk to you about it. But the fact is, God, there is a volition that God gives to men. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, uh, as God uh, dealt, the Bible says this, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Each one. I believe that God has given to each person the ability to be saved. The ability to believe on Him. I want to try to get to some of these other verses here. Alright, uh, let's look at a couple of these right in the context in chapter 3. And I'm, I'm uh, trying to get through here. Verse number 12, the Bible says, If I have told you earthly things, he says to Nicodemus, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? How shall you believe? Well, some people's answer would, well, he'd have no choice but to believe because God's already decided he's going to believe. He don't have the choice to believe. Uh, I'm going to make him believe. But no, he says, how would you believe? Look at verse number 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So what is he talking about there? He's saying there's some people who believe and there's some people that's not. Is it God's will for all to believe? says it is. He's not willing that any should perish. But he said there's some who believe, there's some that don't believe. Look at verse 36 of this same chapter. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Here in just a matter of a few, uh, few sentences, we have, a, we have three clear references to our freedom uh, to choose or reject God's plan for salvation. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 30, the Philippian jailer came out and he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul replied, nothing. If you're chosen, you're good. If not, you have no chance. He didn't really reply that. He said, what must I do to be saved? Paul replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
And anybody else in your house that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So, uh, so, so there's the there's there's choice. I mean, there's the volition. There's the ability that God has given to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He has given us the faculty, the ability to believe, to exercise faith. He's only asking us to do what He's enabled us to do. Believe now. I don't want to rush through this too quickly. Well, I better give I better give you these because. Somebody says, well, the Bible says salvation is of the Lord, and you're right. And it's not just getting people, I do not have the ability to save anyone. I do not have the ability on my own to bring someone to Christ. You know the way we bring people to Christ? We give them the truth of God's Word, and the Holy Spirit of God does the rest. We are only saved when the Holy Spirit of God reveals to our hearts through His Word, that we are sinners, that we need salvation. We're only saved in that case. Uh, and let me give you a couple verses and see. Uh, the Bible says here in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, some will tell you that this passage means that God chose those before whom He predestined, predetermined. By the way, somebody says, so do you believe in predestination? Absolutely, I believe in predestination. I believe in Bible predestination. It's mentioned four times in the Bible. And every time predestination is mentioned, it has to do with God's plan for our life after we're saved. Amen. That He's predestined. What? That we should be conformed into His image. I absolutely. Do you believe in election? I believe in election. I believe in predestination. I believe in all this. But I believe in, I believe in the ones that came before 500 years ago. Yeah. Not the ones that came along 500 years ago. I don't believe in that predestination. I believe in the, the predestination that's in the Bible. Ephesians, but look, look at the, the, the case here. It's, it's never been the case that God's only determined for a few. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4-7, through 7, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glory, to the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of our our sins according to the riches of His grace. So, as I try to bring this to a close this morning, and again, no, I've not been able to explain to you in the brief time that we've had all that I would like to say on this topic. But I say, how does this work? Do you know that every one of us have, uh, this, have faith, this, this act of faith, this verb, this believing faith? Every one of you exercised it at some point today, perhaps several times. Some of you may have sat down for breakfast. Some of you went by Casey's and got donuts. And without even thinking, there are several people that went back there and got into those donuts and just took a bite of them. You know what they were doing? They were having an act of faith. What was their faith? They were they was having faith that they weren't tainted, that they weren't poisoned. Some people may not even know who brought them. Ooh, a donut. <laughs> You know, I mean, uh, we, we came in this morning, we sat down on these chairs. That's you exercise this faith. It's, it's, it's an act of faith. See, and what the, see, we do it all the time. We do it every day. We, we actively believe things. We actively put our faith in things. I mean, how, how many of you just go by the bank and sign the back of it and put the money in the bank? You know, I mean, and you, and you just have confidence that it's going to be fine. It's going to get deposited. It's going into the right account. 
You have faith. That's the, see, but what the Holy Spirit of God does, He takes that simple faith that we exercise every single day of our lives and He brings it to a spiritual level. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that convicts our hearts, that draws us. What He does is He convinces us. He convinces us of sin. He convinces us of judgment. He shows us and reveals to us that we have sinned against God. He reveals that to us. He reveals that there, is a conse- that there are consequences for that sin. And then He reveals with the same type of faith, He elevates to a spiritual level and says, if you will actively put your faith in Christ. The Bible says this, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We, we, we end a lot of services around here by saying, hey, would you, would you be willing to pray this prayer from your heart today? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart and save me. It, it's, it's absolute error to believe that just uttering those words does anything. They're just words. But if you can utter them, if you can pray from your heart, and if from your heart you can say, because the Holy Spirit's enlightened you, shown you the truth of God's Word, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And it's not even those words. Those, you don't have to say those words. Some people get mixed up on that. My mom, she made a profession when she was a teenage girl and, uh, and did not live. She was a great, great woman. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm telling you, uh, she did not live the Christian life through my lifetime. When I got saved when I was 16, she said, oh, well, I got saved when I was 16. I thought, huh. You think maybe you'd ever told me? Maybe took me to church. Maybe. I'm like, that don't make sense to me because I got saved. And I'm telling you I got saved. And I want to tell somebody else I got saved. And long story short, God began to do a work in my mom's heart. She went forward in a, in a service and knelt down in the altar and prayed a prayer. Now, don't get nervous. for those, I know, Some of you that doubt, don't get nervous about that. Because the fact of the matter is all you got to do is just stop and think, did I, did I through faith call out to the Lord? I don't remember what I said. Don't matter. I don't remember hardly what I said when I got married, but I'm married. Amen. <laughs> I got the license to prove it. I don't remember what I said when I asked the Lord to save me. And I'm telling you right now, I promise you one thing I did not say. I did not say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Please come to my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. Amen. Matter of fact, you want to know something? You say, I want to know when we're leaving. Just in a second, okay? I got saved at home on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. I don't know, it was like 2 or 3 in the morning. And I don't remember what I said, but I know what God did in my heart that night. Amen. Well, I think it was, and, and I was in church the, the next, you know, I was, my, my friend's dad went to a good Bible preaching church. So I went to that church, and I believe it was maybe the, set, the week after I got saved, the preacher got up and he says that, uh, that if you haven't said the sinner's prayer, he said you're not saved. Now, with what he was saying, he was saying right. And by the way, can I add this too? This is why I want you to get clarification from me. This is why I want you to ask questions. This is why I want you to leave. Because you know what? I don't agree with the way my pastor said that, but he didn't say the wrong thing. You know what he was just simply saying? You need to ask the Lord to save you. You need to open up your heart and let Jesus come in. That's what he was saying. But but now to me, we had some gospel tracts, and on the back of those gospel tracts, it had the sinner's prayer. And it was, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please come to my heart and save me. And I'm telling you, it was like just like in a movie or something, all of a sudden, to where the, the piano's playing, but it's almost just like there was a scratch on the record. <laughs> Got silent, and it just came like zoom down into me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I didn't say that prayer. My heart just fell to the floor, man. 
You say, what did you do? I went home and probably prayed that prayer a dozen times that day. When did you get saved? One of them dozen times? No, 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 no. See, salvation is a matter of the will. It's a matter of the heart. And it's when from, from my heart, the attitude of my heart, the fact that I turned to the Lord that night, and I can't put it in, into words that would probably satisfy you, but I know what the Lord did in my heart that night. I knew I needed to be saved. I, I called on Him from my heart. He saved my soul. Well, did you know this? I don't know if what I knew. But I knew I was lost and I knew He would save me. Amen. I knew that much. And guess what? He saved me. There was an action. I acted. And I can remember, I can remember having that option. I can remember thinking to myself, and I've told you this before as we all stand. I can remember thinking to myself, man, if you, if you get saved... You can't do like you've been doing. You can't do next weekend what you've been doing these other weekends. Things are going to change. But I remember just thinking, you know what? That's fine. Just give me Jesus. Amen. I want to be saved. There's the volition. There, there, there's the act of believing. It really is hard to explain, especially with all the confusion in the world today. It's hard to explain in just a few moments here in a message. But the fact remains that whosoever believeth on Him. Have you believed on Him? Have you been saved? If you're here today and you say... Faith being a noun is kind of like the verse there out of the book of James. Where the Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. The devils also believe and tremble. I did not tremble when I got saved. How about you? Some of you may have. I didn't. But the devils do. That looks pretty convincing. But their belief is just saying that I know He's God. I know He, you know, the things that we all know. But that's not saving faith. Saving faith is believing that He's the one that He came. He died for me on that cross. He rose again the third day. And if I'll give Him my sins, He'll give me His salvation. He'll save my soul. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I was talking about my mom earlier. She was laying on her deathbed. And my aunt got in touch with me and said, she's ready. She's ready to be saved. I thought, wonderful. I went and I began to share the, the gospel with my mom. There on that there on her on that hospital bed. And as I explained to her the fact that Jesus loved her, and I, I explained to her sin, and I just went through all these verses, and she was just agreeing with a big old smile on her face, her head bobbing just like a bobblehead. Just and I'm like, well, this ain't. You're supposed to kind of be a little sorrowful here or something. She said, Jesse, I did that. I did that two weeks ago. And I'm talking about the things you say. Because she says, it was just on my mind and on my heart. And God finally began to reveal to me that I was a sinner. And that I needed to be saved. And you know what my mom's prayer was? It wasn't, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, blah, blah, blah. And it's okay if you say those words. I'm not minimizing if that's what you said. But you know what my mom said? Jesus, come take my hand. <laughs> Jesus, come take my hand. Oh, well, those aren't the right words. It's not about the words. It's about the heart. Amen. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Have you called on the Lord today? If you haven't, will you please call on Him today? If you have, 
Have confidence in that. Hey, you're saved by faith, by grace through faith. Well, I don't always feel saved. Join the club. It's not about feeling saved. It's about being saved. Amen. It's about what God's Word says. It's not about what we feel. If you're doubting your salvation, were you doubting your salvation before you got saved? kind of a play on words there but it's so true were you doubting your salvation before you got saved man put faith in his word he said he would save if you would believe did you believe did you put your trust and faith in him Lord I don't want to belabor this any longer dear God I've done my best to say what I feel like you'd have me to say please take your word and I pray if there's anybody God that feels like they're leaving here more confused than they came Lord I pray that person will take time to talk to me to get into the word to get clarification I don't want there to be any misunderstanding I'm not mad at somebody that believes contrary to these things that we talked this morning I'm not mad about that and forgive me Lord if I had too much of a mocking tone I'm not mad at anybody Lord But I know what your word says, dear Lord. God, and I want folks to know what your word says. And I just pray that you'll help us, God. And we'll thank you, dear Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I humbly pray. Amen.